Reverend Kusla Bhikshu is an ordained Zen monk and resident at the International Buddhist Meditation Center in Los Angeles. He is very wise. He is very kind. He is very funny. He is musical, and he loves cats. The creatures, not the show. I don't know. You could tell us if he likes the show, too. So please welcome Reverend Kusla. I couldn't ask for a better introduction than that. <laughs> I'm going to talk about something that might be confusing and a little hard to grasp the first time you hear it, uh, but it simply fascinated me when I found out about it. So in, in Buddhism, we have something called anatta, A-N-A-T-T-A. And 500 BC, what anatta was, was no soul. Now, when I came to Buddhism, I figured I had a soul. I didn't know what it looked like or where it lived, but I, I realized it was important because everybody talked about a soul. Okay. Then I found out about psychology in Buddhism. And it went from no soul to no self. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting concept because I've always felt that I existed in a particular way as an individual. And Buddhism says, well, you don't. And I went, no, <laughs> no. Well, then who am I, I thought to myself. And as I get older, it's less relevant who I am. But it still fascinates me when I look in the mirror and see somebody looking back. And I go, who's that guy? You know, he used to look better. Okay, so now we're going to go to 1980s Buddhist literature. And it went from no soul to no self, to not soul, to not self. And I went, wow, what a giant leap that is going from no self to not self. Because that gives me permission to say to myself, I do exist in a certain way, but not in the way I think and not in the way others think. But there is a self. Okay, so now I'm thinking self, not self, self, not self. Well, what did the Buddha say about being a human being? He said, a human being is name and form. He never said a human being was simply one thing. He never went into the one. And you know, if you like the matrix, like I did, and you figured Neo was the one, you go, wow, yeah, the one. It is such a big number and concept. The one, number one, the best one. Wow, okay. And, and so if we get rid of one and have many, what we sort of do is go back to old India with a hierarchy of gods, small g, s, 
not one big overriding, overruling, but simply a bunch of really special gods, small gs, and there's a hierarchy. There are lower, and there's medium, and they're higher. Okay. So, name and form. The Buddha said we are name and form. Okay, the form part I get. Because, you know, um, sometimes the knees don't feel so good. <laughs> That's the form part. Sometimes you haven't shaved for six months. That's the form part. You know, you need a haircut, that's the form part. But what's the name part? Nama Rupa, name and form. Well, the Buddha had this really complex model that he liked to use. And I'm going to oversimplify it because that's how my life is. And, and I'm going to share it with you. It's called the five aggregates. And the five aggregates are name, are form, sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness. So we have the form then, form, and then we have sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness. That's the name part. So let me break it down for you, and you can get an idea of where this is going. Number one, sensation. The Buddha said we have three sensations. We have good sensations, we have not so good sensations, and we have neutral sensations. And they get our attention. When the sensations arise, they get our attention. So if it's a pleasant sensation, like butter pecan ice cream, <laughs> we want some. Okay. If it's something else that we don't like, let's say broccoli, we don't want some. So we have a pleasant sensation, we have an unpleasant sensation. And then there are a lot of neutral sensations that don't catch our attention at all. We're not even aware of. And most sensations during the day are neutral. Because if we were aware of everything, good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant, that was happening in this present moment, we'd have no time to think about anything else. So I'm happy that I have a lot of things I'm not aware of, and as I get older, I have even more things that I'm not aware of. <laughs> and at first I was a little disappointed, but now I'm grateful that that is the case. Okay, sensation, perception. Whoa, this is such a big one, perception. This is identifying stuff. This is like looking at a mosaic and made out of little pieces of tile and we're able to form ideas and concepts and see things that don't exist independently. We actually pull them out of the tapestry of our life and they stand before us. Now I said to myself, how did this happen? How am I able to pull stuff out of something that's, that's not independent and separate and in pieces and yet, that's how it seems to me. I have to blame my mother. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mom. Because she kept talking to me when I was just a little guy. She said, chair, chair. And I thought to myself, what the hell is a chair? <laughs> it's right there. That's a chair. So I had to pull it out 
and I had to look at it, and I had to call it something. I had to make a sound. And when I made the sound share, my mom was so happy. <laughs> and later in life, she kept pointing at things and naming things. And every time I regurgitated what she said, she was just joyful. My son, he's so smart. He knows a chair. He knows a table. Okay. Then one day, mom said to me, we're going to kindergarten. I'm going to drop you off. Mom, no. You're my best friend. You're the person I hang out with all day, every day. Why are you taking me to this windowed building of bricks with a bunch of people I don't know? What am I supposed to do there? She says, you're supposed to learn something. What is learning, I said. You'll find out. <laughs> so there I was in a room with a teacher who I didn't know and 20 or 30 children I didn't know. And mom wasn't there any longer. And I had this sort of feeling of loneliness and detachment. And I said, oh, man, what am I going to do here? And then it started all the little stuff you do in kindergarten. And for me, the best part was the nap in the afternoon. I didn't have to do anything. I continue to nap in the afternoon, even today, and it's just wonderful. So then it was time for first grade and second grade and third grade and fourth grade, and just sort of working your way up, getting a vocabulary, being able to see everything in the world as separate and important or not important and giving value judgments to certain things. And then the kids, all the kids I went to school with. We had the peer groups, we had the athletes, we had this, we had that. What am I going to be, I said. What am I going to be? Where do my talents rest? You know, I was in track, I played football in grade school. It was fun. So I started to become somebody. I was becoming me. And you know what? I didn't even know what me was. It's just how I lived and what I said and how I thought and how I ate my peanut butter sandwich. That was me. And people would relate to that as if I existed independently and was unchanging. They recognized me every day I went to school. Oh, there's Kusula. Of course, that wasn't my name then. I had to, <laughs> I had to become somebody new, but that was Carl. Back then, that was Carl. Carl still exists in a certain way. He does the laundry. <laughs> Carl drove me here today because he's the only one that has a driver's license. So it worked out fine. I'm becoming a professional schizophrenic, but that's okay. So then it was high school, and then it was jobs and careers and learning how to make money and how to get an apartment and all those things we go through. And I needed to keep thinking, and I needed to be separate. I needed to be separate from all the things I was doing so I could do them. If I wasn't separate, I couldn't do anything. Think about this room, and think about that door over there. If you were one with the door, you could never open it. It would be you, and you would be it. But as soon as you're separate from the door and realize how a door works and where the handle was, 
you can open it and exit the room. So being separate is a really important thing. We need to be separate in order to live in this very complicated world. We need to be able to take things that don't exist independently and make them independent so we can understand them. We can use them. We cannot be them. Okay, so perception. Man, perception is so important. And unfortunately, some people as they age lose that perception. And everything blends back into the mosaic or the tapestry. And we call it Alzheimer's. And they're no longer separate. They have combined with all the things in life. And you might think, oh, I want to be one. No, it's better to be two. Better to be me and it, me and them, because then we can be ourself. Self. Oh man, I love that word self. Okay. So now we have we have sensation, perception, volition. So volition is the activity that we do. These are all the habit patterns that we've built up over years of living. This is how we open a bottle or open a door or pick up a fork. That's the volitional activity that allows us to exist in the world. Drive a car. It took us a long time to learn how to drive a car. There's a lot of bits and pieces that go into it. The feeling I have now after the pandemic is a lot of people have forgotten how to drive their car. <laughs> but that's how it goes, you know. So we have this volitional activity, and that's how we get from point A to point B. And, and the perception aspect is we sort of think it out. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to take this freeway and this off-ramp, and I'll be there, and this is the time, and I want to be there in a certain time. So we have volition, and we have perception, and those things work in, in together that allow us to move in this world of ours, which is so complicated and so full of everything people and horses and cats and dogs, buildings and grass. And we, there's so many things here, you know? And if you're really smart and have a giant vocabulary, you see so many more things than I do. Because my vocabulary is average. And some of the words are rather esoteric. But being able to see more and more stuff doesn't make life better and better. It seems to me, it just makes it a bit more confusing and more complicated. And I don't want complication. I am so tired of complication. And you know, when I update my, my PC, I always have to learn something new. It's just, you know, when can I just not learn anything new and just keep what I have? Can't do it. Because everything keeps changing, and it never changes to be simpler, it always changes to be more complicated. Okay, now we come to consciousness. So we have form, sensation, perception, volition, the activity of life, and consciousness. Now Buddhism, because the Buddha was a meditator and came out of India, where they all meditated all the time, his idea of consciousness was profound and different from the kind of consciousness we have today in 2021. 
he said, we have six kinds of consciousness. And I said, really? Six kinds of consciousness? And it has to do with the form that we have taken as a human being. So we have I, and then we have I consciousness. And if your I consciousness isn't working, you can't see. Okay? And if you don't have perception, you don't know what you're looking at. So we have I, I consciousness. We have hearing, ear, and we have hearing consciousness. And last night on Vermont Avenue at 3 in the morning, I heard the loudest motorcycle I have ever heard. And I am thinking, what the hell? Would it kill you to put on a muffler? Is that too much to ask? So we have ear, we have ear consciousness, we have nose, we have smelling consciousness. And I, I have my car outside, and I was showing it to somebody yesterday, and I opened up the door and said, look at my car. Smells like bananas, she said. I said, bananas to myself? I don't recall the last time I had a banana in my car. So I'm going to have to get some air freshener, I guess. But we have the smelling and we have the taste. Oh, the butter pecan. Now, if you really appreciate butter pecan, you'll even appreciate it more when you put the Hershey's syrup on the butter pecan ice cream. That combination just makes me smile for hours. Okay, so now we've got the body. We have touch. and so We have touch consciousness. And we all know how that feels. You know, if somebody touches us and we didn't invite them to touch us, it, that sensation arises that's sort of negative. But if we did invite somebody to touch us and we wanted them to, then it's a very pleasant sensation, you know? If you're wearing wool, it may not be as pleasant as if you're wearing cotton or silk. Okay, so you've got this idea of body, sensation, and that consciousness that's connected to the body for touch. Okay, and then what the Buddha said is we have mind, mind consciousness, and that's what allows us to think. Our thinking happens in the mind consciousness, not in the ear consciousness, not in the eye consciousness, but in the mind consciousness. Okay, and if you don't have a mind, it's really hard to think, you know? And have you heard people say, never mind? You go, whoa. I don't know how that would work. So the Buddha broke it down. We had the form, and then we had the other, the four kinds of, of realities that we deal with as a human being. And they work in combination, and they create our life. They create our life. Now, can you imagine if one or two or three of those didn't work? Life for us would be much different than it is today. And, and, and who is the person that lives in those five things? Form, sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness. Who is that person? Where do they live? Where do they exist? Are they independent? Are they unchanging? No, 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 they're not. We, it, it doesn't exist any place. That's the freaky part about studying Buddhism in this way is you go, wow, 
he explained to me why I don't exist independently as a separate person with a personality because all those factors are in combination and they are in flux. They are in the flow. Flow is a big deal in Buddhism. That river, you know, you can't put your foot in the same river twice. You can't put the same foot in the same river twice. Everything keeps flowing. Everything keeps, keeps changing. And that is one of the prime reasons why life is unsatisfactory, according to Buddhism. Because just when you get it the way you want it, it changes. You know, and if you're into cats and dogs, they never live long enough. They're always checking out. And you go, man, I love little Fluffy. That was my companion for 10 years. And Fluffy went out into the street one day. And that damn motorcycle without mufflers <laughs> took out Muffy, Fluffy. And it's, you're sad. You bury the little guy. And two weeks later, a little kitten shows up, lost, looking for a place to live. And you go, oh. You can stay with me. I'll feed you every day. I'll pet you. I'll love you. And then the cycle begins again and again. And how many, I'm not saying that this is correct, but there may be past lives for some of us. And how many parents have we lost in all the lives we've lived? and brothers and sisters and friends and relatives. How many have we lost? How many tears have been shed? How many rivers would it fill? You know, and this constant change all the time. And, and we've seen it. We've seen it right now, pandemic, and now we're changing back out of the pandemic. But we're not going to back, go back to how it was. We're starting something new. It's always new. It's always the first time. People said to me as I walked through the door today, Ah, oh, good to see you. Glad you're back again. And I thought to myself, Yeah, but this is my first time. How do you know who I am? I remember you. Ah, oh, you remember the ghosts? The ghosts of me. But the guy that walked through that door after a year and a half, you haven't been here for a while either. Different guy. So many things have changed. A few things have stayed the same, it seems, but even in seeming to stay the, change, uh, stay the same, that changed as well. Okay, so here we are. That's our predicament. We don't exist in the way we think we do. And yet we function, we continue, we know what's on TV today. We know what games are being played. Somebody, something, some kind of universal me is doing that. Though I can't name it and I don't know who or what it is. But it does exist at a relative level. It doesn't exist at an ultimate level. Now we're going to go one more step. We're going to go into the Mahayana Buddhism, the later form of Buddhism. And they took that concept of not self, not soul, and they added something to it. They said, everything is empty. Holy moly. Everything is empty. Well, how could it be empty? I see the fullness 
of life and reality, I don't see the emptiness. No, no, no. Everything is empty. Empty of what? Empty of independent existence. Nothing exists independently. It's just one giant something. Interconnected and interdependent in our perception, in our volition, in our consciousness, in our sensations. Pick it apart make it into something and what does it make it into it makes it into the story the narrative we all have really good stories because we've been accumulating these stories over a lifetime and unbeknownst to us we are also editing them and we look back and some of the stuff that wasn't so good turns out to be wonderful with 20 years in the past and some of this stuff turns out to be worse because we've had a chance to think about it and add to it or subtract from it. So everything is empty of independent existence and we do not exist ultimately as being independent or someone. We only exist relatively as being independent and someone. So this gives you a clue to Buddhism. They have two kinds of wisdom, relative wisdom two and two is four, and ultimate wisdom. All things are connected, all things are empty. I do not exist in the way I think I do. Now, how can this be useful? First, you understand it, then you might start to experience it, but how is it useful? How can I use this to make my life better? Well, the Buddha said I only teach two things, and he taught them in a hundred different ways. And there are just volume after volume of what he said on commentary of what it means to the commentary people about what the Buddha said. And he said, number one, I teach why we suffer. Man, okay. Is anybody suffering here? Here we go. So the first thing we do is we recognize the fact that life could be better. It's, it's fine sometimes, but it doesn't last long enough. It's miserable sometimes, and that lasts too long. And you go, well, life could be better if only, you know, my car was two years newer or had the oil change. Uh, this, all these little things that would make life better. Okay. He said, I teach why we suffer and why our life is unsatisfactory. And then... I tell you how to end that suffering and how to end that unsatisfactoriness. So some people think Buddhism is really negative, but I think it's sort of realistic. I think, yeah, we suffer and we don't suffer and everything changes. And the Buddha said, I can help you suffer less right now today and I can help you end your suffering forever and we call that nirvana, the end of suffering. Cool, okay. I'll never have to suffer again. I'll I can get nirvana. Yes, you can. How long will it take? How many lifetimes do you have? <laughs> so it can take a really long time to achieve nirvana, but you don't have to end all your suffering forever. You can end some of your suffering right now today. And I'm going to tell you how. Number one, stop killing stuff. 
Stop killing stuff. You see the bee, or you see the, you see the spider, or you see the mouse. Don't kill it. Come on, catch it. Take it outside. It's just in the wrong place. That's all. It's in your space. And your space is important to you, and you only want things that have been invited to be in your space. So just don't kill stuff. Come on. And it's hard. It takes a lot of time not to kill. You know? And we have had wars ever since humans have figured out how to count. I'm thinking, when do we end our wars? You know? Well, we can end our wars when we stop killing. You know? Let's go and have giant games that these institutions and, and countries can play. And the winner gets something other than whatever they want. We can figure it out. We can figure it out. Okay. Number two, stop stealing stuff. Now, I know most of you don't steal anything, but have you ever thought about stealing time? I had a woman yesterday who was telling me about her physical ailments. I had the feeling she was stealing my time because I didn't know what she was talking about. She had been on Google, and she had all the clinical names all laid out. And she was telling me the medication she was taking and she wanted to change this. And I'm going, wow, she's really into this and I'm not. <laughs> you know, can you just take a little less of my time? I'll still love you. I'll still be kind and listen to some of it. But do I have to listen to all of it? <laughs> and then we got people that steal money you know, or steal cars, or steal watches, you know, as if that's going to make their life any better. And you know what? All the stuff I've acquired and owned over the years I've been alive have only made my life better for a short period of time. Because there's always something new coming out. Because everything changes, and the new stuff's always better than the old stuff. Yeah. So you don't need to steal anything. It will not make your life better. It'll just make it more complicated. Number three, avoid sexual misconduct. Now, this is difficult, and I'm not speaking as someone who's been married and has children or is even in relationship other than with the cats. But you know what? I have come to the conclusion that most relationships don't last forever, that there's a time when love is all there is, and it's just wonderful. One of my Facebook friends posted that he, he met a new woman. And all he can think about is her. She is the delight of his life. And he went on and on. I'm thinking, he's stealing my time. <laughs> you got to stop reading. Okay, so how many different people have you been in this lifetime? Just this one lifetime. How many different people have you been? You were 10, you were 20, you were 30, you were 40. And each time you went to a new decade, and I'm using that as an oversimplification, different people looked better or worse to you. For whatever reason. You know, and it's so rare. We congratulate. We celebrate somebody who's been married for 40 or 50 years. How the, did they do that? How can they put up with the same person 40 or 50 years and then they start looking like each other? 
Have you noticed that? And you go, wow. And when you've had a dog for 10, 12 years, they start looking like you too. Man. Okay. You don't need sexual misconduct. It's not worth it. It just complicates your life, and you won't be any better for it. Okay. Number four, speak skillfully. No harsh speech, gossip, idle chatter, lying. You don't need to go there. Speech is just so volatile sometimes because it happens without us even thinking about it. We just start talking. We have stories and we have opinions and, and we think we know what's best and what's worst. And, and you know, you don't. You don't have anything that's worth listening to. <laughs> really. Really. But, but if you're listening to somebody share the Dharma with you, See, the Buddha would say, now that person's worth listening to. But all the other people, you know, maybe not so much. It's okay. They have stories. They think it's important. You can be kind and listen. You can share that very precious time of yours, you know. You go, okay, yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I understand so much better now because of what you've told me. Okay. So be careful of your speech. You'll have a much better life if you're skillful with your speech. And last but not least, and this is the most difficult one I have found for Buddhists and just people in general, don't get high. Come on. Life is high enough. This is one giant hallucination we're all having. We think we're sitting in a room independently Listen to somebody on the stage talk? You're not. That's just what you're making up. You don't need drugs to enhance that. <laughs> just get into what's going on. I mean, that's the best thing you can ever do. And the drugs just sort of, they, they take you down and they sort of cut the edges off and they make it all sort of mellow and fuzzy. You don't want fuzzy. Come on. You want edges. You want clarity. You want a little relative wisdom. What does this all mean? You're not going to figure it out after a scotch and water. It's not going to work that way. Or a little marijuana. And I understand some people want to make psychedelics legal. Oh, if only Tim and Ramdas were still here. But it's just like, okay, what happens if you don't get high? How does it feel to be sober for a week, a month, a year? Man, you start seeing things differently. You start listening more carefully. You start understanding where this stuff is coming from and how it affects you and how you can avoid it or how you can change it before it does affect you. It's called clarity. It's called mindfulness. It's called being here now. Come on. You don't need any support system to help you do that. All you need, as Reverend Maggie said, is just come to your breath. I'm here now. And now is the best place you can be unless you don't want to be here. Then you should get a cookie. <laughs> so this is just a real, general, not too complicated explanation of not-self. You do exist, but not in the way you think you do. You have a relative reality that's very important to keep and hold on to, but there's also an ultimate reality. And some people call it God, 
Some people call it the universe. Some people call it the flow. Some people call it emptiness. Whatever you want to call it is fine because it really doesn't identify or explain what the heck you're talking about. You know, have you ever listened to somebody explain God to you? You go, wow, really? Not, that's not how I looked at it. Okay. Or how about the flow? Anybody explain the flow to you? You go, wow, the flow. I don't see anything moving. Oh, yeah. It's moving. You just can't see it. Okay, so this ultimate reality can't be spoken of. It can only be pointed to, like the finger pointing to the moon, an old Zen story. But the finger is never the moon. It's pointing at the moon, and we get fixated on the finger. So we get fixated on the words we're using to describe something that's indescribable. Okay, wow, well, how am I supposed to understand that? You're not supposed to understand it. You're supposed to feel it. You're supposed to know it. You're supposed to use some of those sensations to go, okay, yeah, I feel it now. Oh, yeah, that's good. What did you feel? I, don't, I can't tell you. I don't know. I don't know. Did you feel the finger? No, I felt the moon. You felt the moon. How did you do it? I don't know. I was just walking down the beach. It was a moonlit night. And the waves were slapping the shore. And all of a sudden, I was transported into an interconnected whole feeling about stuff. And I was there for a while, and it was just wonderful. It felt so good to be part of the universe again, to not be separate, to not be worried about stuff. And then what happened? Well, it didn't last very long. It was just momentary. But you know what? It opened my eye. I was able to see something I never thought existed. You go, wow. So once you know it exists, once you know the ultimate does exist, you are free. You realize there's always an option. And you have to figure out what the option is. And I'm going to stop right now because I have spoken so many words. <laughs> and I just want to go sit quietly in the corner now. And sort of reflect, you know, I didn't bring my harmonica. I know, I know, but, you know, it's pandemic time. And the thought of sticking something in my mouth and inhaling and exhaling with great vigor <laughs> just didn't really thrill me. So I haven't played it for a year. But the next time I pick it up, it'll be the first time. Mm -hmm. There we go. Thank you.